there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! We are going to finish up our series entitled Noah and His Ark, where we've been talking all about Noah and his ark. Uh, So to begin with today, I I want to tell you a joke. Uh, And you shouldn't have to preface a joke with things, but uh, number one, it's a little bit on the lengthy side. And number two, if you don't laugh at my joke, I won't be mad. All right, so, so here we go. In the year 2021, the Lord came to Noah, who was now living in America. And he said, Noah, once again, the earth has become wicked and overpopulated, and I see the end of all flesh before me. Now, I know that I promised you that I would never again destroy the earth with a flood, but it has just gotten so, so bad. So I want you to build me another ark. And you're going to save two of every living creatures along with a few good humans. And he gave Noah some blueprints and he said, listen, it's 2021 and you can build things a lot faster. So you don't need 120 years to build this ark like you did back in the day. I'm going to give you one year to finish this ark. When it's done at the end of the year, I'm going to send unending rain for 40 days and 40 nights. Well, a year passed and the Lord looked down and he saw Noah crying in his yard, but he didn't see an ark. And God said, Noah, I'm about to start the rain. Where is the ark? Forgive me, Lord, Noah begged, but things have changed. It's 2021. I needed a building permit to build the ark. So I've been caught up in red tape for months. I've also been arguing with the boat inspector about my need for a sprinkler system on the ark. He said, in addition to that, my homeowners association claimed that I violated my neighborhood bylaws by building an ark in my backyard exceeding height limitations. So we had to go to the local planning committee and we're awaiting their decision. He said, oh, Lord, then the city council and the electricity company got involved and they demanded a boatload of money for the future costs of moving power lines and other overhead obstructions to clear a passage for the ark's move to the sea. Even though I've told them, Lord, that the sea is coming to us, they won't listen. And he said, Lord, getting materials, getting the wood is another problem all on its own. He said, there's a ban on cutting local trees in order to save the great spotted barn owl. He said, now I've tried to convince environmentalists that I need the wood and I'll save the great spotted barn owl, but they wouldn't have any of it. He said, then it got worse, God. He said, I started gathering the animals and PETA took me to court. They insisted that I was confining wild animals against their will. Then the Environmental Protection Agency ruled that I couldn't build the ark until they conducted an environmental impact study on your proposed flood. 
He said, in the labor union, say, I can't even use my own sons. They insist that I hire only union workers with ARC building experience. And to make matters worse, the IRS seized all of my assets claiming that I'm trying to leave the country illegally while possessing an endangered species. So forgive me, Lord, but it's going to take at least another 20 years for me to finish the ark. Well, all of a sudden, the skies cleared and the sun began to shine and a beautiful rainbow stretched across the sky. And Noah looked up in God, at God with wonder in his eyes and he said, You mean you're not going to destroy the world? No, said the Lord. The government beat me to it. <laughs> so, there you go. It's going to be that kind of Sunday. It's going to be that kind of Sunday. Uh, to, to close out this series, we've already looked at the man Noah. We've already looked at the ark and what the ark meant. We already looked at the flood. And so to close out this series, I want to look at the significance of two events that happened shortly after the flood itself. The first event I want to look at is what we call the releasing of the birds, where Noah releases a raven and a dove. And then the second event I want to look at is God putting a rainbow in the sky as a covenant promise uh, to all of us. So let's talk about the raven and the dove. So we're going to pick up in Genesis 8. We've spent the majority of this series in Genesis 6. In Genesis 8, the rain is gone. It stopped raining. And the waters are starting to recede. And, but Noah and his family don't know if it's safe to leave the ark yet. And so they're going to send some birds out. So we'll pick up in Genesis 8, uh, verse 6 through 12. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and set forth a raven. And it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. <clears throat> so something to note is the raven never came back. He released it. It was gone. It never came back. Verse 8. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> then he set forth <clears throat> a dove excuse me, from him, to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her feet, and she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand, and he took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and set forth the dove, and she did not return to him anymore. Okay, so this is an interesting passage of scripture because you have these two different birds released from the ark. You have the raven and you have the dove. The raven didn't come back. It went to and fro. But the dove returned to the ark because Scripture says she found no place. There was no dry land for her feet. And what I want you to understand right out of the gate this morning is that there is a gospel truth displayed in this text right here. And that gospel truth is this. 
it absolutely matters what our souls feed on. There's some very interesting symbolism expressed through the raven and through the dove. So think about it. The raven is an unclean bird and is considered to be a symbol of evil. But in contrast, the dove is a clean bird and in scripture is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So let's talk about the raven first. There's only one verse, verse 7. It's the first bird that Noah releases from the ark. And it set forth the raven. It went to and fro until the waters dried up from the earth. Now what I want you to notice is that scripture says the raven went forth to and fro and it just wandered the earth. I want to ask you a question. Who else in scripture is described as a person who roams the earth to and fro. There's this great conversation where Satan walks into the throne room of God and they're having this, this debate. I want you to see in verse seven, the Lord said to Satan, where have you come? From where have you come? As if he didn't know, he's all knowing, but where have you come? Satan answered to the Lord, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down it. See the symbolism there between the raven and the evil one? So, so let me ask you another question. If there was nowhere for the raven to land, because we're told that the dove wouldn't land because there wasn't any dry ground. So if there was nowhere for the raven to land, then why didn't the raven return to the ark? I'm going to get to the answer to that in a minute, but let me just share with you a, a personal story. <clears throat> so about three months ago, uh, my family and I, we decided to sell our house and we moved in with our in-laws. And it's going great. You don't have to ask. It's, it's awesome. We, we get along. Uh, our in-laws haven't turned to outlaws or anything like that. Um, but they live in Powder Springs. So I moved from out in South Paulding. Uh, to Powder Springs. In fact, I, I'm really getting used to it because I'm only three miles from the church now. Uh, so I can just go home at lunch and I mean, it's, it's, it's great. But one of the things that, I, that I'm trying to do is uh, I'm trying to embrace where I live, right? And so Powder Springs is this beautiful, I love, it's this wonderful little tiny city. It's not far from here. Um, and there's sidewalks everywhere. You can, you can walk and run. There's just all kinds of trails. Um, and in addition to that, the Silver Comet Trail goes right through Powder Springs. And then Powder Springs had the forethought to build different connectors from neighborhoods to get to the, the Silver Comet Trail. And so I've been doing a lot of walking, a lot of running, and um, I take this route where I'm walking down in, in the road. The name of the road's not important unless you're from Powder Springs. Walking down Ship Road. Uh, and on Ship Road, there's a connector trail called the Lucille Trail. The Lucille Trail leads to the Silver Comet. Well, on the Lucille Trail, uh, when, you're, when you're walking onto it from Ship Road, there's a creek that goes on the other side of it. It's just a little, little tiny creek. And uh, one day this week, my son Calvin and I were walking, and uh, we noticed an armadillo on the other side of the creek, but it wasn't moving. Just, just sitting there. And so we stared at it for a while. And I said, hey, man, I don't think this thing's alive. I said, let's get some rocks. And so we started throwing rocks. And it, it took us a while to hit it. But we, we finally hit it a couple times, and it didn't budge. And I said, all right, this thing's dead. Let's get out of here. So we, we went and did our walk. So two days later, I'm walking the same trail, but I'm by myself this time. 
And as I'm going around ship and I'm stepping onto the Lucille Trail, I have that, I smelled the undeniable smell of rotting flesh. I mean, you just, I mean, death. You can, when something dies, when there's roadkill, yeah, I mean, you, you just cannot get that out of your senses. So I was like, yep, that, that's that armadillo. It's dead. And so I was just coming around, and, I, and when I came around, I was just going to peek over to look. But when I peeked over and looked, there were these two giant black vultures, all right? And they, they looked at me with disdain in their eyes, for one. Uh, I'm not a real big fan of vultures, by the way. And um, I thought me being there would scare them off, but it didn't. They were just going to town, feeding on this, on this dead armadillo. And then I just had this dark, dark thought that crossed my mind. I don't know where it came from. And the thought was this. If I'm out here walking or running and I drop dead on this trail, that vulture is going to leave that armadillo and he's going to start eating on me. And, and so uh, I got out of there as quick as possible because I got, kind of got the creeps because it was a you know, very, very evil, evil, creepy feeling. So listen, ravens are not vultures, but they are very similar. And they have one very important thing in common, and that's both vultures and ravens love to feed on dead flesh. So... Why didn't the raven come back to the ark? It didn't have to come back. The world had been destroyed, and you had an ocean full of rotting, bloating, dead human and animal corpses. It was a virtual buffet uh, for the raven. It didn't have to look for any food. It had all the food it could. It didn't, it didn't mind landing on a dead body. Um, plenty of dead bodies to land on if it got tired of flying to and fro. And what I want you to understand is that the raven was able to derive satisfaction from the dead fleshly things that this world has to offer. And, and, and my fear is, is that in our culture, there are a great number of people who are going through this life aimlessly. And, and they're deriving futile pleasure from trying to Feed on things that have no life in them. They're trying to feed on the things this world has to offer. And I can give you the extended list. I think we know they know drugs, alcohol, sex, power, money, pride, all of those things. Um, they're, they're feasting on the things of the world. Just, we just absolutely, media and social media and news, we just gobble it up desperately trying to find meaning and purpose in this life, desperately trying to satisfy this deep hunger down in our souls, trying to find meaning and purpose in things that are dead. So this would be the person who chases after the desires of the flesh that John the Apostle talks about. Many people follow the diet of the raven. It's just all about what this flesh has to offer. What brings me pleasure? What makes me happy in the moment? So that's the raven. Now let's talk about the dove. It's a little more extensive passage on the dove. Uh, Genesis 8, 8, 9. Then he, Noah, sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters have subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her feet. See, she's not going to land on a dead body. She's a clean bird. They don't, they don't do that. And she returned to him in the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. And I love this. So Noah put his hand out. She lands on her hands, and he brings her back into the ark with him. 
this clean bird who, who wouldn't land or feed on rotting dead bodies has no desire to do such a thing. I want you to note that he takes her by the hand and brings her into the ark. I believe he brought her into the ark to turn her around and look at her feet to see if there was clay or dirt or anything. He, he didn't find anything, so he's got to wait a little bit longer. So we pick up in verse 10. He waited another seven days. And again, he set forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening. And behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. So he sends her back out. She's gone till evening. She comes back with an olive leaf, which is taken from an olive branch on dry land. Does anybody know what an olive branch symbolizes? Peace. I don't know if you've ever gotten into it with one of your family members or your boss or your coworker or your neighbor or something and, 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 or even your spouse and, and, and there's not any peace. And so you might use this phrase, hey, I'm going to extend an olive branch, which means I want to reconcile this relationship. I want to have peace with this relationship. And so I love that because God is not only sending the dove back to Noah, but he's sending the dove back to Noah with a sign of peace. It's God's way of saying, listen, I just waged war on all of creation, but now there will be peace. And I love this because the, whole, the dove is also used to signify the Holy Spirit. And so I'd like for you to think of it this way. Before we accepted Jesus Christ, we were, we were doomed for God's judgment. We weren't at peace with God. But when Jesus Christ washed away our sins, God sent the Holy Spirit to descend on us with an olive branch. It's God's way of saying you are reconciled. You can now live at peace. You have my peace dwelling in you. You have all my promises. You have this new beginning. You have this new life. You are in Christ. And if you are in Christ, I'm going to put you on a new diet. You're no longer going to eat like the raven. You're no longer going to feed on the, 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 the evil, fleshly things that, that this world has to desire. But rather, you're going to feed on my son, Jesus Christ. Let, let me give you a reality. Just like your body needs food to survive, your soul does. And your soul can't live on chicken fingers and french fries. It needs something else. And the net result is we try to stuff all these things of the rave and all these fleshly things inside of us and it leaves us empty. What I want you to understand this morning, friends, is when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we start a new diet. Our souls no longer find nutritional value in the diet of this world, the diet of the raven, but rather we feast on Jesus himself. Jesus has this famous passage it's right after he feeds the 5,000 and they're looking for another free meal. And Jesus says, I'm the bread of life. And they, they don't really get it at first. And then he elaborates. And then Jesus says this in John 6, 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no 
life in you. So I want to pause and just get you to ask a reflective question to yourself this morning. What is your soul feeding on? Power, money, relationship, sex, alcohol, any kind of self-medication. What is your soul feeding on? Are you eating the diet of the raven, the things the world has to offer, or the diet of the dove? Are you feasting on Jesus Christ? He is food for our souls. One of the very interesting things that the early apostles did in the New Testament is they took the Lord's Supper every Sunday. The first day of the week, they met together for the purpose of consuming the body of Jesus and the blood of Jesus. Now, it's metaphorical because it's wine or juice and bread, but it signifies that this redemptive work of Christ is cleansing and feeding our souls, that we're on a new diet, we're on a new path. And so we're going to do something that we don't do a whole lot around here. We usually do communion before I come out and preach. But I talked to Matt and Will, and I said, listen, I, I want to handle communion this week because I think it's a perfect segue. Uh, when you ask a person, are you on the diet of the raven or are you on the diet of the dove, um, I, I want to encourage you uh, to, to take on the dove diet. Uh, to, to, to feast on the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so uh, what we do is uh, we used to pass trays around, but, you know, COVID wrecked this world for a while. And so uh, on the back table there, if you're visiting, uh, don't be shy. There's a little communion kit. There's a little piece of bread and a little juice, and it's to signify that you are feasting on the body and the blood of Jesus and while you're doing that, uh, we're going to have a picture of an ascending dove. And I just want you to focus on that for a minute. I want you to take this time uh, to, to thank Jesus for providing nourishment for your soul. Dove, and a lot of times I think we throw that term of the diet of the raven and we're talking about uh, unbelievers, unchurched people, 
things like that. Uh, let me just say this. Um, if you're like me, you're human, you're flawed. Um, even though you're in Jesus Christ, sometimes you go back to, uh, to the diet of the raven at times, don't we? Um, we, we, we lose our way, we, we get disappointed because God didn't answer us the way we did. We have some type of moral failure or some sin struggle. Um, and, and, and I just want to let you know that's, that's part of being a human being. All right, the worst thing you can do is if you're down and out is to have this defeatist attitude. To just say, you know what, I'm a hopeless cause, I've, I've blown it, I've wrecked it, God doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm here to tell you nothing could be further from the truth. He wants nothing more than to have peace with you. But you're never going to get peace with God if you f at first don't make peace with yourself. All those, those hang-ups and all those bad habits and all those things that you have done in the past, you've got to let them go. And I hate this phrase, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, because uh, some of us, are in a, we get in a spiritual condition where we can't pull ourselves up. All right? And what we need to do is we just need to extend our hand, and I promise you, Jesus is there to lift you up. He is, he is, is there. He is in your corner. Amen. All right. Let's talk about the rainbow for just a few minutes and I'll get you out of here so you can uh, get ready for a trick or treat. We find the rainbow, which is a, I get asked two prominent questions about Noah's flood. One is, were there unicorns on the ark? I don't know why I get asked that all the time. And my response is, I don't know. <laughs> I think they missed the boat. Um, and then the second one is, what is this? rainbow like this I don't I understand what a rainbow is but what in the world does it mean so let's look at it Genesis 9 verses 8 through 17 and I want you to notice a pattern here then God said to Noah and his sons with him behold I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you and with every living creature that is with you now don't miss this because the covenant's with Noah, but it's also with us. But look who else it's with. The birds, the livestock, every beast on the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is from every beast of the earth. I will establish my covenant with you that will never again shall all flesh be cut off by waters of the flood. And never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant I made between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Let me stop right there and just say this. Um, this, is, this is, I just thought of a great sermon series, uh, maybe for another day. But um, if, if you study God, and in, in the Old Testament, God makes covenants with several people. One of the things that you'll notice is that every time God makes a covenant, there's a sign associated with it. All right, probably the most famous Old Testament covenant was the uh, uh, covenant he made with Abraham. You know, he said, I'll make you a great nation. Now, what was the, what was the sign of that covenant? Circumcision. I'll take the rainbow. Um, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, sorry, that's crude. Um, <laughs> I'm going to get in trouble one day. Uh, so... <laughs> So there's a sign. In verse 13, here's the sign. I have set my bow in the cloud, 
And it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring the clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant. Remember verse 15, because I'm going to reference it again in a minute. I will remember my covenant that's between me and you and every living creature and all the flesh and the water shall never again flood and destroy all the flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I establish between me and you and all the flesh of the earth. So in a realistic sense, God's not just promising Noah He's not just promising you and future generations, but your kitty cat and your dog and your pet, he's promising them too. Listen, I'm never going to wipe this earth out again uh, with a flood. It's not going to happen. Mark Twain uh, was with his friend William Dean Howes, and they were at a worship service together. And as church ended, they stepped out, and a violent thunderstorm began, and it was raining all kinds of ways. It was just coming down. And Howell looked at uh, Mark Twain and said, I wonder if this rain will stop. And Mark Twain had a wry smile on his face and said, it always has. Um, and he's right. It always has. God will never again flood the earth because God is a God that keeps his promises. He's a God that keeps his word. So God makes this promise and he gives a sign as the promise. The sign was a rainbow. Rainbows are pretty. I like rainbows. Rainbows scientifically are simply caused by sunlight filtering through the water in the air. Each drop becoming a little prism that uh, releases the colors hidden in the white light of the sun. And so if you've ever watched a rainbow, you know they don't last long. Rainbows are fragile, but they're beautiful, and the best part about it is nobody has to pay to see them. They're free. So what does the rainbow mean? You can ask a hundred different scholars what the rainbow means, and you're probably going to get a hundred different answer, answers, because no one knows exactly what it means. So allow me to give you my theory, and this is derived from a commentator, William Wearsby. Um, a bow is an instrument of war, right? So think about ancient times, and I didn't bring any arrows here, but a bow is an instrument of war. So if I had an arrow in here and I had what's called a broadhead tip, which is like little razor blades on it, and I had an arrow in here, and I pointed it at you, uh, that's, that's not a good thing, is it? Um, it's, an, it's an instrument uh, of, of war. What I love is when you study many ancient cultures who fought with these, and you would have a king that would surrender to another king, or two kings that would make a treaty uh, that they wouldn't, you know, they would live at peace with one another. They would make this covenant treaty. Um, here's what the kings would do. They would take their bows and they would turn them this way and hold them out. Signifying this, if I break this peace, if I break this treaty, may my own arrows come against me. Now notice, God said, I have set my bow in the sky. God's up here, we're down here. The flood 
was God's bow pointed towards us. And he was, I mean, he destroyed the earth. It was judgment after judgment after judgment. And God says, I will now turn my bow. I'll set it in the cloud as a promise to you that I will never again destroy the earth. And in verse 15, I want you to notice, because we often look at a rainbow and we're, we're reminded of the promises of God. God says, when I, when God sees the bow in the sky, it reminds him of his covenant that he made with us. Listen, God does not break promises. God does not tell lies. God is not evil. He is all good, all truthful, all loving. Do you guys remember about eight or ten years ago, perhaps, it may be longer, uh, he was a YouTube sensation for like a week. It was the double rainbow guy. Anybody? Yeah, you, you, if, you, if you know, if you've seen it, you know it and you chuckle because it's, it's crazy. So it's this guy who lives out west and he was smoking something, like a lot of it, I guess. And um, so he sees this like rainbow, it's this very vivid rainbow. Um, and then he sees another rainbow on top of it, uh, on top of it, and he just goes like he just wigs out, and I, I can't, I don't want to imitate him because it's silly, but he's like, oh, double rainbow, and he's like, what does this mean? And he starts crying, and, and it's just it's really, it's funny, but it's 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 also kind of kind of weird. Um, but he's just, over and over again, he sees this rainbow, and he's like, it's it's a sign. What does it mean? And that, you know, every time I see a rainbow, I know exactly what it means. It means that even though I have blown it over and over and over and over again and have failed in my flesh day after day and I had to have God pick me up in spite of all those failures, that in my relationship with God, God desires peace. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants us all to be saved. He's, he is a promise keeper. In Revelation chapter 4, Revelation chapter 4 is a terrifying passage of chapter in, in, in the Bible. Because in Revelation chapter 4, John is writing about the judgment that is going to flow from the throne of God. And it starts all these end times discussions and all this, this, this massive judgment that's going to ooze out of the throne of God onto the world. So it's a, it's a very, very, very terrifying passage of scripture. But in Revelation chapter 4, in the midst of that, John sees a rainbow in this storm of judgment. Look at Revelation 4 verse 3. And the one who sat there, had the appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald and circled the throne. So, so here's the significance of that to me. It's scary to think about God's judgment. No one likes to think about that. We want to talk about his love, but love can't be perfect if it's not just. And so no one really likes to think about the, the, the judgment that's coming on the world. We talked about this last week. God's never going to again destroy the earth with water. He's going to eventually destroy it with fire after he pulls the church out, right? 
But in Revelation chapter 4, you have God sitting on his throne and it's horrifying because there's thunder, there's lightning, there's these strange creatures flying around with all kinds of wings and eyeballs and, and scales and just crazy. And it's a very stormy scene. It's this scene of ultimate final judgment of God like the flood saying it's over. But right in the middle of it, around his throne, John says, I saw a rainbow. And I don't think that was put there by coincidence. I think that was put there for us. I think it was put there as a sign. I think it was put there as a promise that if you have Jesus Christ, blood washing away your sins, as Paul says, there is therefore now no condemnation in those who are in Christ Jesus. That the judgment storm is coming, but we're in Christ. Like we said week two, we're in the ark. We're saved. We walked. There's one door on the ark. Remember, God opened the door. They walked in. God closed it. Only those in the ark were safe. Only those who come into the door of the church, the door is Jesus Christ. Jesus says, I am the door. No man comes to the Father but through me. When we walk through the door of Jesus Christ into his church and we are wrapped up and washed by his blood and we are encompassed by his love and we can feel his glory and his power, we can confidently say, I know there is therefore no condemnation in me because I am in Christ Jesus and there is no judgment. Right in the middle. See, when I look up and I see a rainbow, I can't help but smile. Because it reminds me of, a, of another covenant. Not a covenant to not flood the earth. But a covenant that God made with a wooden cross. A covenant where God says, listen, I love this world so much. I love you so much that I'm going to give my only begotten son so that you don't have to perish, but you may have everlasting life. It's a peace treaty to invite Jesus Christ to be your savior. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.